Episode, another edition of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Scott Strandy, your host from beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host, Seth Askelson from North Phoenix, Arizona. Ready to bring you another show. And, and Seth, I'm calling this week, week one of the post-shutdown uh, or quarantine. What do you think of that? I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, maybe it's just uh, quarantine number one. Hopefully it's not. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're starting to see not only the you know world open up, but I think you're starting to see sports leagues try to figure out what's next, right? I mean, you look at NASCAR, they raced without any fans yesterday. and Or, yeah, yesterday. And then, um, you know, Bundesliga, the soccer league in – the top soccer league in Germany went back to – playing games without fans. I think you're starting to see a little bit uh, how these things are starting to work. And, you know, uh, the Suns here in Phoenix returned uh, to their training facility for voluntary workouts. I don't know how uh, how much voluntary means in that statement. But um, nonetheless, there's uh, teams getting back to what they're doing. And I think the NHL is trying to figure that out a little bit. Um, but I think they're going to run into the same troubles that the MLB is running into at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see um, what the NHL does in, in a standpoint. And again, remember the NBA is returning players to their facilities, but they still don't have a plan yet on what they're going to do when they come back. So it's not just because, you know, uh, guys are returning to their facilities in the NBA. That doesn't mean they're going to start playing, you know, within three weeks, they still have no idea what they're going to do. So, I mean, a good sign in terms of that, but um, I think still a long ways away, both the NHL and the NBA. Couldn't agree with you more, my friend. But when I look at uh, at things right now, I, I, you know, there's just so many variables out there. And you know, we talk professional hockey. We also talk college hockey and club hockey and and amateur hockey. But so many things um, are up in the air. It's not just the players, as we've talked before. It's the fans. It's all that stuff. But it is good news that things are starting to move a little bit. Um, it seems like forever, Seth. It's been ten weeks, which is a long time, but. You know, uh, it's still May right now, so it's not like uh, the entire year has flown by and we've been locked in our houses, so that's a good thing. Uh, tonight we've got a great guest that's got some great insight, and Kenny McCudden, the assistant coach from the Columbus Blue Jackets, who uh, also does a lot of coaching on the side, if you will. He does some coaching clinics. Uh, I know he's been doing a lot with video and, and things like that on Zoom, so a lot of fun things to talk about. And, of course, he coaches under uh, John Tortorella, which is uh, another great topic to talk about. So looking forward to having Kenny on tonight with us. And he's going to be our first two-part guest, Seth, because we're going to have him this week on Monday night for professional hockey. But he's also going to come back on Wednesday this week and talk club hockey with us. So going to be an exciting night. Um, just your thoughts on having a guest like Kenny McCudden join us. Yeah, that's huge. I know talking to you last night, um, you know, you just mentioned everything that he does and, you know, running camps in Vegas and Arizona and coaching for the Blue Jackets. And I mean, that's a guy that literally sees it at every level and specifically in the desert Southwest. He sees it at the ACHA level with UNLV, sees it at the NCAA level with ASU. And, you know, I, I know the Blue Jackets come here once a year, but he sees it, you know, I'm sure when he's here, he sees what the Coyotes are doing. And obviously, coaches directly up against them twice a year and once at Gila River. So a guy that has a ton of experience at every level that, you know, you and I and, and the rest of our great crew at Ice Time Hockey Southwest cover and um, almost the perfect guest, right? If you had to pick the perfect guest for this show, a guy who's coached at the ACHA level, the NCAA level, and the NHL level. Um, I don't know too many other levels that we've, uh, we cover, Scott, uh, unless you're hiding something from me. No, he's uh, he's a fantastic guest. Like I said, his uh, his expertise at the pro level and developing players is really what he does. So we'll be able to talk AHL and NHL with him tonight, and uh, really find out you know how this has all affected not only him but his players and the guys that he sees. I'm sure he'll give us a little bit of draft insight and 
and stuff like that. But, you know, the big thing with Kenny and the reason I wanted to have him on is he does such a great job of uh, reaching uh, the grassroots level, right? He goes all the way down to the youth level. He reaches out to coaches. He gives them ideas. He, you know, he's uh, he's an icon. I call him an icon. I'll call him that again when we have him on tonight because I always do. Uh, he's a true icon in the hockey world, and it's going to be fantastic to have him on. Before he comes on, though, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, proposed format that was out there, the 2014 format. I don't know if you've seen that yet or not, but it would have the Arizona Coyotes and, of course, the Vegas Gold. Okay, I don't know if I have Seth back with me yet or not, but um, we're yeah, talking. Scott, oh, okay. sorry, I, <laughs> you you dropped out. I don't know what happened there. You were uh, quiet, and then all of a sudden you came back. So, okay, I don't know what's going on with me either, but uh, it, it appeared. What did you hear from me from last last words? <laughs> you you started. You just said, uh, "Let's talk about the proposal that uh, has been floated out there," and then you literally went silent. It's like the light oh. switch flipped off. Okay, well, that, a lot of people would say that happens to me a lot. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that 2014 proposal. Do you like that idea? Um, I mean, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Um, like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, I think the thing you're going to run into is what the MLB is running into at the moment, where what are you going to do for playoff bonuses, right? Because normally 16 teams make the playoffs. And those 16 teams know they're going to be paying playoff bonuses potentially until June, right? Obviously, two teams pay until the end of, you know, till mid June or whenever the Stanley Cup final occurs. But now you got 24 teams on the books for playoff bonuses. Now, are some of these teams going to try and say, well, you know, may, you know, these playoff bonuses shouldn't count unless we get to the round of 16? And then the players are going to argue, well, we're play, we're playing, so you need to pay us. So um, I think uh, obviously those are one of those things that the NHLPA and the NHL discuss in you know negotiate negotiations surrounding this. It's it's a crazy time. Nobody knows really. There's no precedent for it, right? There's never been a season where you stop halfway through or more than halfway through, then you come back and finish the season. Uh, without like some sort of change in a collecting collective bargaining agreement. So um, I think from that standpoint, I, mean, I, I, I like the idea, I think getting hockey back and, you know, cause it avoids that. Well, for a team like the coyotes, right? Well, we were only four points out when this stopped, anything could have happened in the last three weeks of the season. So you avoid having some of these teams complain to you that if you cut it off at eight and eight, well, you know, you never gave us a chance to finish. And especially for those teams that had games in hand, but were sitting outside of playoff spots. So um, I think it's a great idea to avoid any, any teams that felt like they even had an outside shot from being upset. And it also keeps teams like Detroit, like the Californias, like Ottawa from bringing guys back just to play meaningless games, right? Like I know LA was on a huge win streak before it ended, but they were so far out of the playoff picture that um, they weren't going to be able to come back. Detroit was already officially eliminated. I know Ottawa was um, teetering that line as March went along. So um, I think it's a great way to make sure those teams who were already prepping for an off season come March aren't forced to bring their guys back and risk injury and also give the teams a chance that even had the outside shot and could make a case for themselves um, the opportunity to play it out. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, you know, there's always going to be somebody that's not happy with the situation, uh, no matter how that plays out. So we have to take that uh, with a grain of salt, I guess. But, uh, you know, as you and I have talked over the past, everybody knows my feelings about whether I think the league should come back or not. And again, I don't uh, hold the checkbook for the league, so I can't really tell them on that end of it. But just on the medical side of things, as long as it's safe, uh, okay, bring them back. But if this thing lingers on another month or two, uh, my thoughts are just why don't you prepare for next year and see if we can't get off to the right start next year and just uh, 
and it's easier, like I said, said than done for me to say this because obviously it's not my money we're talking about, but, um, you know, just start over that way. So your thought, thoughts still that same way, or if you change your opinion a little bit on what you think the league should do if you were the commissioner? I mean, I like what they're discussing right now. It's um, reported by Pierre Lebrun. Um, you know, it's it doesn't start right into the playoffs. There would be some uh, games before. This is actually a quote from him. I believe this is from his story. Um, quote, I'm told the 2014 format doesn't go straight to the playoffs, but involves games in some form beforehand. That would be something the players would have pushed for. Again, let me stress that both sides on the committee as of Sunday morning, so yesterday, still had work to do on the format, so it may yet change, end quote. So, um, that again, that's from Pierre Lebrun. So, obviously, there's going to be some sort of warm-up. Um, there was a Board of Governors call meeting at um, 3 Eastern today, so that was uh, actually at noon, our time, and there hasn't been any um, major news, it looks like, coming out of it. Um, obviously that's something I, I feel that that board of governors call is a, you know, is this the plan we like? What do we need to change? I mean, here's my thing is how many teams are willing to operate at a loss? Because that's, what's going to happen. You're going to operate at a loss because there's no, you know, ticket revenue. There's no concession revenue. Um, there's no merchandise revenue in terms of people buying stuff in the shops. Now, again, you don't have to pay arena employees in terms of, you know, food people and shop people and ushers and security guards to a certain extent. Like, obviously, you're going to have some basic people there, but you're not recouping any of that money, you know, to pay the players, to pay the broadcasters, to pay the trainers and all the support staff. So how many teams are willing to operate at a loss for a Stanley Cup playoff? Right now, obviously, it seems like there's – enough teams to where there's serious discussions going on, but say a team like Arizona and a, and a team like Florida are those teams that are willing in terms of the front office business side of things that are going to be willing to bite the bullet on a lot of money, really. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think uh, there's any way to get around it. It's going to be a lot of money no matter what, what you do or don't do. It's a, it's a very sticky situation. Speaking of sticky situations, uh, we had Craig Morgan on, who was an awesome guest last week uh, with us. And when we finished up with Craig, uh, I woke up early in the morning to uh, his story that Aaron Cohn had parted ways with the uh, Arizona Coyotes after being there since 2015, which I know was a shock to both you and I, and I'm sure to Craig as well. But uh, both sides are saying it's a mutual party, and I have no idea why or, or what led to it, but yeah, you know, Aaron's one of those really good guys. You know, you just want to you just want to commend and pat on the back every time you see him because he's always trying to do something the right way. So, uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a tough role to fill for whoever steps in there because he's done so much in such a short period of time. But the biggest thing I was worried about when I heard about it was stability because he was a stabilizing factor. Just your thoughts on the loss of Aaron Cohen and with the Coyotes. Yeah, that's huge for the community. I remember talking to Aaron and, you know, you and I have had multiple discussions about it. It's, you know, you ask him, well, what do you want to do in Arizona? And his answer wasn't, oh, we want to bring more fans in and to make money or, you know, we want to operate at a profit. It's we want to build a fan base from a grassroots level and grow the game. It wasn't money for him. Now, obviously, there it's a business. You Growing at a grassroots level will help with profits. But he wasn't uh, a guy who, you know, just came in and said, well, we're just, you know, we want to win and we want to make money, right? Like, that's such an easy answer to go, but how do you do it? He told you how they wanted to do it. And I just wonder about youth hockey and kind of just hockey in, for lack of a better term, a grassroots level, right? Like the street hockey clinics that they do outside the arena. And he was really big on the Kachinas. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who, you know, was really involved in youth hockey. And I mean, he loved that Kachinas program and brought in Lindsey Fry. And I think that's my biggest worry. Like I think the Kachinas are stable and I think there's a great market for it here in Arizona and a lot of girls want to play. So I'm not particularly worried right now that the Kachinas are going to go away. I, I mean, and they have some great coaching staffs too. I mean, a lot of uh, 
GCU coaches and Natalie Rossi's involved. ASU's women's team is involved all over the map on that. But, you know, say five, six, seven years from now, is that something that's still a priority for the organization? I know with Lindsey Fry there, it will be. But what if the organization decides to let her go? What happens? So I think that's what I'm most worried about is, you know, where does the Kachinas go from here? And um, I mean, I have confidence that the next CEO and the next real leadership group is going to make sure that Kachinas continues to flourish, but it'll be interesting to see what the Coyotes kind of efforts are in terms of growing the game. Cause that really seemed to be since Aaron Cohen was here, what, what was really taking off for that organization. Totally agree with you, my friend. And uh, when we look on the Vegas side of things, things just keep getting built up there. They keep uh, moving forward. They're working with the, uh, the city of Henderson and the city council there to get that uh, new 6,000 seat arena underway. Uh, the building continues in Henderson on the practice facility for the AHL franchise. We learned last week that the San Antonio Rampage have played their last game in San Antonio and now will become the uh, what everybody's believing anyway is the Henderson Silver Knights. That announcement with the logo and team name we expect sometime before the end of this month. So things keep going up in Vegas. Let's take a quick break. Let's uh, hear from some of our sponsors. And let's come back and, uh, and visit with the assistant coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Kenny McCutton. bacteria from sports gear and, and your gym and all that stuff. Um, in, in light of current events, uh, we have uh, switched up and added a new product to our production line. It's called our Have a Nice Day Hand Sanitizer. Um, it is exclusively for use on your skin, whereas our other uh, products have been exclusively for use on your fabrics and, and, and gear. Uh, this product is available here at my shop. It's available on my website at www.oxypal.com. And you can pick it up or we can ship it to you anywhere in the United States. Behind the Mask Hockey Shop, celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community. Offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you. Visit any one of our Three Valley locations or check us out online at BehindTheMask.com. Hey, Michael here from M-Drive. My dad, a world-class scientist, actually made M-Drive for himself to stay active and continue enjoying life. And yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. M-Drive is the everyday supplement to fuel your drive with more energy and more strength. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. Visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just type in the code DRIVE at checkout. Refine your prime with M-Drive. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit ease. And if you want to make the best margaritas or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails, whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue, located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. Pre-game like a pro, post-game like a champion at College Bar and Grill. Located across the street from the iconic A Mountain and Sun Devil Stadium and a quick walk from Wells Fargo Arena. 
College Bar and Grill is your home for the best local craft beer, delicious creative cocktails, tasty food, and Tempe's best atmosphere for Arizona State Athletics. College Bar and Grill, pregame like a pro, postgame like a champion. Online at ilovecollege.co. All right, we're back. Scott Strandy in Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host, Seth Askelson, joining me from beautiful North Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, we're still waiting to get uh, Kenny McKid- McCutton on board with us, Seth. So in the meantime, let's uh, let's talk a little AHL hockey uh, with the season coming to an abrupt end. And uh, finally, the cancellation of the season, the Tucson Roadrunners were crowned Pacific Division champions. Um, albeit by the slightest of margins, they, they were in first place when it ended. So they got themselves a banner and a T-shirt. They sure did. And I think when it comes to the Tucson Roadrunners, I mean, that's good for them, right? Like two years in a row, or not two years in a row, sorry, two times in three years that they won the Pacific Division. I mean, they were on their way, I think, to at least a playoff berth, if not the division title either way. Um, And really, I think, built a pretty good rivalry with the Colorado Eagles. Those games were hotly contested at at all times. I mean, that's what happens when you have two teams battling for a top spot. It just creates a natural rivalry, but um, I mean, for Tucson, it's kind of a, I wouldn't say a, a weird city in terms of like location, but what are, what are Tucson's natural rivals, right? It's Tempe, it's Phoenix. Um, and uh, there's no AHL team in Phoenix. So um, Colorado has been a pretty good uh, rivalry and, and um, kind of, uh, as it's called a, uh, an antagonist, their antagonist um, and their quest for not only a Pacific division title, but a Calder cup, I think, with that team, um, when you look at it, I think we talked with Craig Morgan about this, but he mentioned there's no real spectacular prospects outside of the goaltenders down there in Tucson. Um, I mean, Kyle Capobianco is, I think, looked upon as a guy who could find himself in a top six role, but uh, that knee injury was tough for him last season and uh, kind of started out slow this year and has spent a, a good bulk of his time in Tucson. So, I mean, it was a team that I think has some really good uh, American Hockey League players and you know going into next year if they keep somewhat of the same group together is going to have another really successful season but uh, as much as you love um, an AHL team to win a Calder Cup uh, the main purpose of it is to develop future NFL or NHL excuse me stars and um, just um, for the Coyotes I don't think it has anything to do with the coaching staff and the development staff down there I think it just has to do with who they have down there and, and who's available uh, to participate down there. Absolutely. And hey, you, Scott. Led right, you led right into my first guest, uh, Kenny McCutton, <laughs> the, the icon, I call him, from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Kenny, thanks all for, uh, first of all for joining us. you got Seth and Scott here. How are you? Scott, I'm well. Uh, I think I pressed the wrong green button, so I'm, I'm probably a minute tardy, but uh, thank you very much to both of you for having me on. No problem. Uh, we were just talking a little bit AHL hockey and NHL hockey. The first thing I want to ask you, Kenny, is how are you? How's your family? How are things in the Columbus Blue Jacket family in regards to this uh, COVID nineteen that struck us all so hard and quickly? Things are well. I'm I'm back in Chicago, where I was born and raised, and I'm about fifty miles northwest of downtown Chicago, and. Uh, um, Chicago's not in a good situation right now as far as Illinois. I mean, uh, I think we're third in the United States with the COVID issue, and uh, it still uh, is New York, New Jersey, now Illinois and Massachusetts, but uh, not so great here, but a lot better in uh, Ohio. And uh, to think that it's uh, only five and a half hours down the street or 50 minutes by flight, but uh, much better there. You know, you and I have been around a long time. Seth hasn't been around quite as long as us, but he covers the Coyotes for us on a regular basis. And it, when I saw this happen, Kenny, I, I I can't liken it to anything else. It, it just, everything came to a screeching halt at every level. It, just, if you can, take us back to uh, March 11th or 12th when this all came to a screeching halt. And w- what was immediately going through your mind as it happened? Where were you? Uh, wh- where was the team? Well, I'll tell you, March 11th uh, was a Wednesday night, and uh, I was putting on a peewee clinic uh, in the big building at Nationwide in, in our main, main building, and uh, the Zamboni driver came to me, our main Zamboni driver, and he says, uh, Kenny, we're playing tomorrow against Pittsburgh in front of nobody. And I said, you've oh. got to be kidding me. 
And uh, so that would have been March the 12th on a Thursday. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. He says, no, uh, the governor's declared this and that and that type of thing. And so let's fast forward until uh, Thursday morning. Uh, coaching staff uh, was getting ready for a 10 o'clock meeting and a 1030 morning skate. And then uh, Pittsburgh would take the ice at 1130 as uh, opposing teams do. And uh, we were told uh, we were instructed by probably uh, 20 minutes to 10 that we couldn't have a meeting and, uh, and nobody would, t- you know, nobody could take the ice at 1030. So uh, uh, I would say within an hour and a half, our team was completely out of the building. And I would say around the same time, Pittsburgh was already gone. So uh, here they were down the hall, 30, 40 feet, and uh, their trunks were being packed. And a uh, very, very strange thing. But I, I got wind of it the night before, and I was like, wow. And, uh, but I think we all had a feeling that morning, you know, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning, coaches and players, that uh, we may not be playing that night. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's life uh, abruptly uh, changed, and uh, uh, it's, it's different times for sure. No, I'm going to tell you what, what I saw from different levels, especially at the club level, because those guys down here were preparing to go to uh, a national tournament. And uh, when I talked to players over the last 10 weeks and coaches and fans, what I've seen, Kenny, is uh, about two weeks of pure shock, right? And just not, not really mm-hmm. believing it, just belief. And then mm-hmm. I think it went to uh, a little bit of realization where they said, hey, this isn't just us. This is the entire world that's dealing with this. And they kind of went through about a four, maybe five week period of realization. And then I think about two, maybe three weeks ago, I started to hear rumblings from people that were getting a little frustrated and, and maybe just stir crazy from being inside. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's kind of the way it went for, for you and, and the team there as well. Well, yeah, for sure. But let's go back to, to March 12th. I, I just had a feeling that, uh, you know, our, our, our world was going to be upside down. I, I packed my bag. I packed my sticks. I packed everything um, that day. Uh, I knew we were not going to get back into the practice rink for a while. I knew we were not going to get back into the main building for a while or our coach's office. So, uh, and it's led to today. But, it, yes, it's, uh, uh, you know, you, you, I've been on these conference calls with every, every – uh, walk of life when it comes to hockey, whether it's youth hockey, uh, college coaches, pro coaches, uh, European hockey, and uh, everybody wants to know how to train, you know, throughout COVID. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I mean, I've heard everything from inline skating to ball hockey to getting into the gym by themselves. But yeah, I mean, it's a really awkward time for everybody. But I, I believe, uh, you know, things are moving ahead in some ways that, uh, uh, the league is going to try to play. And uh, I heard you talking about safety and I couldn't agree with you more as far as you would love to see globally, everything get safe first before, uh, before there's any uh, throw of a baseball or a, a basket uh, being made or a puck being shot. Yeah. Seth, you got thoughts on that. So go ahead and throw one out there for Kenny as well. How you doing, Seth? Yeah. coach. Good coach. McCudden. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, the Blue Jackets are um, a team that I think a lot of people out in Arizona can relate to, a team that's scrappy, doesn't always get the attention, but uh, always gets the job done, and I think a little bit more than uh, the Coyotes have had this season. But when you have a team like that, a team that has great uh, leaders and, and guys that are always focused and are team-oriented, is it a little bit easier when you get into a situation like this where it's an unprecedented time. And even though guys are antsy, are, are they still staying focused and sticking with the training and, and still having that mindset that at some point, whether it be to conclude this season or to even start next season, that they're going to be back on the ice? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's got the mindset to get back. And you could be sure that uh, I'm sure there's been players skating here and there. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, as, as especially as of late, but uh you know, five, six weeks ago, I'd say there was probably nobody skating anywhere. But um, the nice thing, you know, for most teams, uh, the teams that had injuries, uh, those players were able to skate. And uh, and those injuries are obviously getting a lot stronger. And I mean, as far as uh, uh, guys getting healthy, but uh, uh, no, as far as the mindset for everybody across the board, I mean, our, our leadership is 
just like any other team. I mean, everybody's antsy to get back. Everybody's professional. Um, you know, I think a big question I get asked, Seth, is how do we keep the players engaged? And we don't right now. It's basically the strength and fitness coaches and uh, that are giving them the program to, to, uh, to work out off the ice. But uh, the only thing that we're doing, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, you both might get a kick out of this, uh, John Tortorella implemented roughly about five weeks ago, and it made uh, The Athletic, it was a nice article in The Athletic, we, uh, we're engaging our players with speed quizzes, and uh, it's been very, very, it, it's been very competitive. So, for instance, uh, it could be six to ten questions, and they get sent out to every player, whether you're in Europe or whether you're in Columbus, and uh, the players that answer that the quickest with the right answers in the top five uh, have three less laps to do when we get back to training camp. <laughs> <laughs> so it's become very, very competitive. Uh, so there's I a, bet there's, it has. <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a point system in the whole bit. And uh, uh, towards us training camps, whether we get back uh, here uh, within a couple of months or whether we get back uh, in September, mid-September, uh, with a normal training camp, uh, for the upcoming season, uh, those players definitely want less laps because uh, Torts runs a grueling <laughs> training camp. So I thought you both would get a kick out of that. Uh, well, you know I did for certain. Uh, <laughs> Kenny, tell me just a little bit about um, what it's like as an assistant coach, uh, you know, what your day-to-day responsibilities are in the NHL, but but now how that affects things. Obviously, you don't have your on-ice stuff, but – are you still doing some sort of planning and stuff on your own, or are you just kind of at a halt right now? Well, the sad part is, uh, Scott, I'm, I'm, I'm canceling things in the summer right now. I mean, I've, I've already canceled uh, all the way through basically July 1, and uh, I'm a very busy guy in the summer, whether it comes to youth hockey, where I travel for friends uh, that are directors of hockey clubs that are running schools or academies, or whether I'm running college programs for three, four, five days, or whether I'm going out to work with pros uh, at every single level. So I'm starting to, you know, get rid of some of that early work because I realize that uh, rinks aren't going to be up and running. I realize travel won't be the same, but uh, uh, that's the sad part. I mean, because I really enjoy the summer. I really don't stay idle uh, very long. I, I take roughly, I zip up my bag for maybe a week and a half to two weeks at the very most, and then I get right, right back at it. But uh, um, no, I, I, I'm prepared. I mean, I'm ready. I've been doing everything. I'm, I'll be 59 this August, and uh, I'm in the gym every day. I'm on inline skates. Uh, I'm, I'm doing everything to get back. So, I mean, if we started, started tomorrow, I'm ready. And uh, I miss it, just like everybody else does. Seth, you got to follow up to that? Yeah. Um, you mentioned Coach Tortorella and a guy who, at least to me, is not afraid to show who he is. And, um, I mean, Coach Tortorella, honestly, uh, don't tell Rick Tockett, but he's definitely my favorite NHL head coach, <laughs> just a guy who's always, um, whether he's angry or whether he's happy, he's, he's going to let you know. And um, what is it like to work with a guy who's so – you know, no matter what, he's always himself and doesn't care what everybody thinks. And a guy that's a great hockey mind, maybe a little controversial to some, but uh, a guy who's had success, won a Stanley Cup. What is it like to, to work with a guy like John Tortorella? Well, you, he's so passionate that uh, as an assistant coach with our with our staff, whether it's Brad Larson, Brad Shaw, Paul McClain, Manny Legacy, Dan Singleton, our video coach, or myself, I mean, you're engaged every day. Uh, uh, every day you have a job to do um, and stay. He's got a big line is to stay within your lane, and that is to do your job and uh, not get into anybody else's. And uh, uh, he believes in his staff. We've got a terrific staff. I mean, that's a lot of experience there that I just mentioned. And uh, But, no, his, his office is about 12 feet away from mine, and I love the passion. I believe our players love his passion. Um, you know, uh, the way he gets, uh, whether it's uh, a win where he doesn't get too excited and with a loss, he's ready to get back to work the next day. And uh, uh, that's what I love about uh, being underneath him. I, I've been with him now five years. Uh, we have some great laughs. He knows when to have fun. Uh, there's a lot of things that people don't see up close that uh, uh, that 
you know, that we will remember as coaches that have worked with him that uh, you'll take with you forever. And I believe he's a, he's going to be a hall of fame coach. I really, really believe that. I mean, he's, uh, he's changed with the times he's, uh, I mean, he's been in the game an awful long time and athletes have athletes and athletics has changed so much since Torts has been coaching. And, uh, uh, and when you get that Stanley cup, uh, you know, ring behind you and that name on the cup, it's, uh, it's pretty special. Not too many people can say they've gotten that. And, uh, uh, the thing that I found fascinating is the guys who won that cup for him in 2004, uh, they adore him. Uh, they'll never forget him. I've been able to talk to Marty St. Louis and, uh, you know, uh, Tim Taylor, uh, guys that, that, that won with him and, uh, Freddie Modine, um, they made, he made, he made these guys better players. And, you know, if you ever watch, you know, uh, F- uh Freddie, uh, what do you call it? Freddie with Freddie's Freddie's speech. No, no, it wasn't Freddie. Marty St. Louis speech. I'm sorry. Marty St. Louis speech in the hall of fame. He mentions one coach and, uh, and it happens to be torts that, uh, that changed his career and changed his life. And, uh, you know, that's pretty special, but you're talking about a hall of famer, in a player like that talking about torts, but uh, no, very passionate coach. The players go through the wall for him uh, because they see how passionate he is. And Kenny, on that same note, just a little bit, but you know, you guys, you talked about evolution, right? I mean, you had to evolve with the times and torts had to evolve with the times, but, but now you're looking at something new. I'm sure you've gotten familiar with zoom and other sort of video technology. So so how has that been? How has everybody accepted that? The young kids, the young players probably had no problem, but for coaches and, and things like that, has it, has it been difficult to get used to that, or do you kind of like that? No, it's a great question, Scott. I, I, I love it. I mean, to be honest with you, I had no knowledge of uh, how to get on it. I didn't even know how to put the app on, uh, none of the above. Uh, seven <laughs> I'm or eight with week- you, pal. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seven or eight weeks ago, I didn't know how many people that you can get on. But I'm, uh, I believe I'm up to like 53 or 55 hours uh, uh, on, on this Zoom uh, video conference calls. And, you know, I've got uh, I've been dealing with states. I've been dealing with hockey clubs. I've been dealing with teams alone. Um, UNLV put on a good one not too long ago with Nick Rabone. He, uh, he hosted it and I was the guest and we were on for two and a half hours. And I'm looking forward to another one there. But uh uh, the extent of all the way to uh, Europe. I mean, uh, I've talked to the Dutch Hockey Federation. I've talking. I spoke to uh, German coaches and coaches from Belgium and England. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And one thing I did learn from it, guys, is uh, uh, once we get back to normality, uh, I would like to continue these Zoom conference calls because I think they're they're really amazing for the fact that. Uh, everybody's engaged. I mean, I know, I know everybody's engaged now because they miss the game so much, but I think zoom conference calls like for myself, for instance, even next year during an 82 game schedule will be important to me because we'll be talking about things at the present and, uh, and enjoying that. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing that. Not maybe, not maybe into the, you know, 50 or 60 or 70 hours, but uh, I can see myself doing uh, anywhere between three to five next year. It really brings the world uh, closer, doesn't it, Kenny? Kind of, you talked about overseas and things like that, but when you can bring these players almost face to face, it gives you that feeling that you're in the same room. At sometimes, doesn't it? No, it's 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 awesome. And uh, um, I had a call the other day with all these Chicago hockey directors, uh, youth hockey directors here, and um, we were on for two hours and forty minutes. So the average call that I'm on is. Anywhere an hour and a half to two and a half hours, and uh, those those are long calls. And uh, you might have uh, thirty five coaches on, you might have fifty directors on. And uh, uh, but my last call recently, once we were finished with the coaches, um, they asked if I would speak to a group of parents, and I said, "Well, from what club and how many?" And they said up to two hundred. And I didn't even realize I didn't realize Zoom went beyond fifty. So. Uh, it shows you that I still don't know much about Zoom, but uh, uh, but that, that's how how uh, important I think these conference calls have been, where you get these hockey directors that are asking to take it a step further to be able to use this platform to be able to talk to parents and uh, and talk about the game and talk about that it's a kids game and uh, about having fun. So uh, they believe that uh, my voice would be a decent voice to listen to and. Uh, 
uh, instead of just the directors or board members or a president or the coaches themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. Seth, you got one more for Kenny? Yeah, Coach. Um, you coached in uh, Chicago for the Wolves, the uh, current affiliate for the Vegas World Knights. Obviously, they're getting a team in Henderson Correct. come next year. But um, in the American Hockey League, I mean, teams change affiliations all the time. And that's mm-hmm. uh, the Chicago Wolves seem to have done that a lot. In your time working for the Wolves, um, whether they were the affiliate of the Avalanche or the Blues or the Thrashers, who was the one prospect that you saw in practice that nobody really knew about, but you knew was going to be a solid and or great NHL player and eventually became that? Well, that's a tough one. I mean, I saw, I mean, I was there 18 years and saw as many as 19 coaches. Uh, that's between head coaches and assistants. So, um, and I, and I left for five years. I mean, I would have been part of that uh, the whole entire time, but I, I left on my own for other professional work, but uh uh, a player that really stands out that will resonate with you guys is uh, he played a little bit for Vegas was Brad Hunt. Do you remember the defenseman Brad Hunt? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, uh, smaller defenseman, very mobile, left-handed shot, a heavy, heavy shot. Um, I believe he's with Edmonton now. I believe. Um, he's bounced around a little bit, but uh, I may be wrong with the Edmonton thing, but uh you know, I mean, there's an awful lot of players like that uh, that, that stand out. But uh, one that you can, uh, you know, re- recognize as a name and a player that you might have saw play for Vegas. But uh, uh, it just shows you. I mean, he's probably five foot eight. He's 175 pounds soaking wet, but uh, moves the puck extremely well, skates well, and a big time shot. I mean, uh, for a small guy, he's got a cannon. So uh, his skill set right there, I mean, is enough to keep him in the National Hockey League. But uh, I was blessed, uh, Seth, in an awful lot of ways to be able to see some tremendous stories of players. Uh, we were affiliated during my time. We were uh, affiliated with the Thrashers. Um, and uh, I think Thrashers, I ran seven or eight prospect camps for them. Uh, away from Colorado is not tied with the Wolves, but I, I worked for Colorado. So that's where you might've put that two, two and two together there. I did another seven or eight years for Colorado with uh, development, but uh, we were with the blues, Vancouver and the thrashers during my time. And uh, uh, yes, there was change and, uh, and there's going to be change again here. And I believe I've read that uh, the Wolves are now going to be with Carolina. So uh, with the restructuring, but uh uh, the Chicago Wolves have always been considered uh, that extra NHL team, the way they have uh, uh, treated their players. Uh, starts with the ownership with Don Levin, and uh, they got a ter- terrific uh, GM with Wendell Young. But uh, I had terrific years there. Fondest memories were winning a Calder Cup, the last Calder Cup uh, that I won there in 2008 with John Anderson. Um, you know, John is – I was with John 11 years and uh, a, a, even a better person away from the rink. But uh, um, John has won at every level. And uh, everybody, it seemed, uh, that got implemented into the Chicago Wolves during my years were just class, class people. And it was a class organization. And players loved playing there. Kenny, on that same note, when we talk uh, AHL and NHL, it's no secret that Vegas is getting that AHL franchise now that uh, was done in San Antonio, and they wanted it for a number of reasons, but first and foremost was probably to save money and costs and, more importantly, have their players right in the same city. How important is that in development of your uh, AHL and NHL programs together to kind of make them cohesive? It's it's huge. I mean, when it's, uh, I mean, just the amount of uh, money that you're saving on travel, and and you know a player is going to be there immediately. Uh, it's very similar to here in Illinois with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and Rockford. Uh, you're talking maybe an hour and a half away at the very most by car, and so it, it's it's huge. I mean, uh, uh, that's the difference between uh, a, a player is not going to be tired, Scott. Uh, uh, when they just have to jump in the car and get there, um, they're not going to be tired versus if there's a call up that morning and that player has got to play that night and he's got to, he's got to fly, uh, and he's got to stop over somewhere else. And he's waiting there for another hour. And by the time he gets to the main city, it's already time to get to the rink and the guy has no legs. He's tired. He hasn't got fed right. So having your affiliate right in, in town, 
uh, that's a wonderful thing. And it seems like uh, more and more teams are trying to trying to do that. All right, Seth, you got one more? Yeah, when you look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, and um, I mean, a lot of great leaders, or a lot of great players, but I think the guy that stands out to me, at least from an American hockey standpoint, is Seth Jones, a guy whose dad played and coached in the NBA and was around the NBA lifestyle and kind of saw how that worked, but uh, stuck with hockey and played really well. And um, he went through a tough injury, one of those guys that uh, could be on the comeback, like you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, injuries to guys that could recover if the league comes mm-hmm. back. But what is Seth Jones like as a player and as a person? And what has he done to that locker room since arriving uh, to Columbus? Outstanding question. Um, he is, uh, I mean, when I look at Seth Jones, I, I see a, a player that uh, has got a, you know, he's a candidate for a Norris Trophy, a winner every single year. I mean, uh, he's going to win it someday. I believe that. Um he is the engine of a lot of our play. Uh, he and Zach Wierenski on the back end. I mean, we have a very uh, offensive defense, defensive core, and uh, but those two players, uh, you know, are, are powerful on our power play unit. And but Seth Jones, I mean, uh, strong, never gets tired. I mean, you know, he could play thirty minutes and he's not exhausted. And it was a big loss for us. Uh, uh, with his injury, and that was a season-long injury, and we were supposed to get him back possibly for the first round if we were going to play. But uh, he's a leader, and that's why he's part of the leadership group. That's why he wears an A. Um, you know, the A's that are in our room are Boone Jenner, Cam Atkinson, and Seth Jones. And Cam and uh, Seth switch off depending on home and away. And Nikki Felino is our captain. So the leadership group there, and our, you said it earlier about our team, uh, and, I, and I believe, you know, most teams have a, a, a decent core of uh, leaders. But uh, um, speaking for our room, uh, you know, we, we have a terrific room that way. But Seth Jones, uh, I mean, the upside for him is he's only going to get better. I mean, uh, he's got a great shot, could skate uh, very strong the way he can angle a player and rub a player out and, and contain a player. He's, he's got a, a great first pass. And if that pass isn't there, he leads the he leads the rush. So uh, and he's a kind of player, Seth, that if he does get caught offensively behind the net, he just happens to get back all the time, nearly the first player back because that's what kind of speed he has. But uh, John Tortorella has, uh, you know, he's one player that that John Tortorella has brought out of a comfort zone and made him into a more of a special player. And I, I think there's more room. I think there's more room for improvement and he's just going to get that much better. And that's why I believe he's going to win a Norris trophy someday. All right, Kenny, final one for me, then I'll give Seth the last one to, uh, to ask you a little uh, story about torts. But um, my question a little bit more on the serious side of it is with this pandemic and none of us knowing really what to expect out of it, how much does it hurt your development guys um, in the AHL and, and maybe guys that have just been drafted and we're looking forward to a camp and, and maybe getting a shot at the end of the season? How much is it going to hurt them? Do you have any idea on that end of it? Well, I mean, the obvious is the obvious. I mean, everybody's got to go through that. And uh, it is a shame. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation, uh, not only for an athlete, but across the world. I mean, you know, we, we, we see kids trying to graduate high school without being able to graduate in front of their, you know, in, in, at their school. We see people not being able to get married and have people watch them get married. So uh, the trickle down effect into sport. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, we're going to see the exact same thing with prospects where they're not going to be able to showcase things right now. And uh, whether it's development camp, which is canceled uh, or our like our tournament, we have a fantastic tournament in Traverse City um, in its early, early September before we uh, uh, open up with camp. So uh, I believe that is canceled also. And uh, that's a terrific tournament. You, you, I think there's eight or nine clubs that are involved in that and you're able to see their top prospects. So, yeah, I mean, uh, everybody seems to be getting gypped right now, Scott, for things that uh, uh, that uh, they're able to be able to enjoy or showcase themselves. And uh, uh, they're getting a, 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 you know, it's a tough situation for everybody. All right, Seth, ask him one good one for Torts because I know he's got a a hundred stories about torts that'll uh, that'll make us about laugh a, to send this one out. About a thousand. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, Coach, what um, what is the best off-ice story you can tell us about John Tortorella that's, uh, A, you're not going to sell him out, and B, uh, is definitely family-friendly for our show? Well, first of all, I mean, there, there's so many people that ask about Torts. I mean, uh, because he's an intriguing man, and uh, uh, everybody wants to know what he's like behind the scenes. But even throughout these video conference calls, I always have – a question or two about him, but uh, I, I think that the special thing that I think people should know, and I've repeated these kind of things, uh, and it's not necessarily a story, but it's about a, a description of who the guy is, is uh, you don't read or hear about uh, what he does with his foundation with dogs and, uh, you know, taking care of dogs and getting them out of situations of cruelty and, and finding them homes and fostering them. Uh, you don't hear about that. Uh, you don't read or hear about, uh, you know, he probably wouldn't be happy with me talking about this one, but uh, when we walk to a rink, for instance, in the morning, uh, there is not a homeless person. He will not, he will not walk by a homeless person. He stops at every single person, talks to them, uh, takes care of them, uh, has a conversation. Even if they're sleeping, he'll uh, lift up their blanket and put something underneath there. And those are just things you just don't hear about. But I get to see it uh, uh, every year, every city on the road. And uh, uh, but that's 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 the beauty in the guy. That's how wonderful he is. And but everybody always wants a you know a, a clip of him or a soundbite of him uh, in a post game uh, you know conference. But uh, uh, He's a, he's a pretty darn special guy, and he's uh, he's made me a better coach. I know he made, he's made our staff a better coach, just like he's made our players and our trainers. But uh, you know, there there when I say there's a thousand stories, guys, there's a thousand stories. But I'm gonna leave you on this one. It is a funny one. He only coached one year in Vancouver, and uh, it was two years ago. We were walking at eight o'clock in the morning to our morning skate, and we get there very early. Players are not getting there until probably nine thirty, and we're getting, we're, we're probably 7 8 o'clock. We're getting to the rink and, uh, we're, nobody's on the streets, nobody at all. But usually anybody who sees torts on the street, they stop as if he's one of the Beatles and, uh, especially in Canadian cities and the Canadian cities love him. Well, anyways, we get to a busy intersection and people are honking and this and that. The next thing you know, a big village truck, city truck, uh, like a snowplow truck stops in the middle of the street and the wheels are chattering. And this big hulk of a man, a six foot six, gets out with big leather gloves on, and he reaches his arms out and he goes, "Torts, welcome home." <laughs> <laughs> he he said, "Welcome home, Torts," and uh, so that's a that's a typical Canadian hockey fan. And uh, but the Canadian uh, the Canadians love him. I mean, they go they go wild for him. And as far as in Canadian cities and uh, American cities. Uh, uh, they like him too, and everybody stops him on the street, and everybody wants a selfie and the whole bit. But uh, uh, there's 999 more stories, guys. <laughs> that's, that's why I wanted to have you on because uh, you are. Uh, I tell you that every time I see you, Kenny, you're an icon, and we love having you on. Um, you're also going to make history as part of our podcast because I'm bringing you back Wednesday night, and I can't thank you enough for doing that. It's part two, but I think it's that important that you talk to our. Uh, club hockey audience as well so thanks for coming on tonight even more thanks for uh, jumping in again on wednesday night and talking club hockey with us well i hope i push the right the right button uh, for wednesday and, and get on in time <laughs> but uh, uh both to you and, and seth i thank you very much and terry for setting it up and uh no i've enjoyed this and uh, we might get another tour story in there wednesday night for you <laughs> look forward to it Kenny McCudden, uh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Uh, be safe, Thank you guys. be strong, and uh, let's get back to playing some NHL hockey, okay? Thank you. You also. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Thank Kenny you. McCudden from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Seth Askelson, Scott Strandy with you here in uh, beautiful, sunny, warm Arizona. And I'm not calling this week 10 of the uh, quarantine, Seth. I'm calling it week one of the uh, start to reopen. How about that? The start to reopen week one. Um just a thought or two on uh, Kenny McCutton and, and just how much fun and how knowledgeable he is. Yeah, I mean, a guy who's, um, as he mentioned, he's coached in the AHL for years on years. And 
Um, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I asked him about uh, what prospect he thought, you know, somebody that wasn't like a blue chip prospect per se, and he thought they were going to be great. And they made the NHL a guy like Brad Hunt, right? Like I'm sure he could have given us a top 10 of guys like that. So just a guy who's seen everything from the professional hockey side, uh, you know, you said you're going to, you guys are going to be talking to him on Wednesday night with the club hockey audience about uh, UNLV. So he's seen hockey from that side. And I mean, you want to talk about a guy who uh, has seen it all and, and has been able to, I wouldn't say sit back necessarily, but has gotten to meet so many different coaches and players and characters. I mean, I got to be careful if, if he ever wants to take over as uh, co-host of this show, I might be in trouble because he's definitely going to have <laughs> a lot more to bring to the table than I ever will. So a great guest and such a great story about John Tortorella too. I mean, a guy who, uh, you know, the Canadian cities love him. They do. I know uh, Vancouver might not share that uh, same sentiment with the way his time ended there, but I mean, he's always been kind of painted as a villain, right? A guy who wants his teams to be physical and, um, didn't really have a great time with the media in New York, but truly who really does like uh, a guy who sometimes gets painted for his worst moments. But I mean, to hear that he's a guy that will never walk past a homeless person and is always putting stuff underneath their, you know, whether it's a blanket or just making sure they're at least okay. And you know what he does with dogs. I mean, just incredible that a guy who's, you know, uh, very emotional, wears his emotions on his sleeve and sometimes can get into spats, whether it be with the reporters or, or other, you know, uh, members of a team, whatever that may be, a guy who um, truly cares about his fellow man. And, I mean, um, Scott, I mean, I don't know how much it would take to get uh, Kenny and and John as a part of the Ice Time Hockey Southwest team uh, <laughs> once they hang it up coaching. But whatever that money is, I might have to pitch in to get uh, two great men of hockey to work for us full time. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a great guy, um, and sometimes I forget because he's so outgoing and so friendly to everybody. Is that he's an NHL assistant coach? Okay, if you look at the other sports, right, and nothing to take away from the other professional sports, but imagine having an NFL or an NBA or uh, a Major League Baseball coach that would be that up front and that out in the open and that willing to do things like our podcast or or coaching uh, youth levels, or, you know, he was talking about dealing with a peewee team and, and talking to parents of uh, youth players. I mean, that's just the hockey world, but Kenny McCutton is an icon in that world. That's why I love having him on. I have no idea. Uh, on, I have no doubt, I should say, on Wednesday night that he will be a huge success and we talk club hockey with him because that's where his passion really is. I mean, he loves developing players. He loves uh, talking to other coaches um, you know, he's willing to pass on his knowledge to other coaches. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. And, um, you know, he said, if I can learn something or they can learn something from me, so be it. When our teams compete, they're going to be competing uh, on the ice. And, and I trust that, that we'll get the best out of our guys. So really nice. I really appreciate him coming on. Any final thoughts as far as the NHL and the AHL as we uh, get prepared to head into another week? No, I mean, I think it's one of those I feel that tomorrow we're going to get a little more information on what that Board of Governors meeting was like, um, kind of what was discussed, um, and what's next, right? I, I think um, that's one of those where you just, you just got to let what is what happens happen, right? Like if they can't get back or they can't agree, I think this is one of those where you have to – again with not only with the the labor situation but you don't want to ruin relationships over something you know obviously to them it's not that petty but i mean you think about it right like finishing a season finishing this season is not as important as as having great relationships and labor peace and growing the game for the next 10 15 years i mean we saw how the game was stunted in the united states in the lockout of 0405 and um, I feel that, you know, a lot of, you know, Gary Bettman's still the commissioner and, you know, I have a feeling that a lot of, um, uh, a lot of those teams and a lot of those, uh, guys that were around for that, which I mean, really is few and far between now, but are going to understand that, Hey, let's make sure we grow the game. Let's not try to 
fight each other, kind of like what the MLB and the MLBPA are doing. And um, that's kind of turned into a very public uh, Twitter battle. Maybe um, obviously wasn't the original intention, but between, you know, players saying they're not going to pay for less, play for less than they originally agreed to. And um, I know the NHL doesn't want to get into something like that. And obviously the NHL uh, um, guys aren't uh, as vocal, at least on social media about those types of things, but you want to make sure that everybody's happy, everybody's safe. And that the decision that is made for this season is going to set up great growth and a great future for the next 10 to 15 years for the national hockey league. That was very well said and the best way to uh, end the show, I think, because um, next week we'll have more to talk about. Hopefully we'll have a little bit more information, like you said, coming out of the board of governors meeting from today. And, and maybe we'll have a little clearer path as uh, each week goes by, but we've made it through 10 weeks. Seth, let's, uh, let's look forward to the, uh, the 11th uh, week and uh, the second week of uh, what I call this uh, reopening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see you next week for Scott Strandy and Seth Askelson. Um, this is Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Thanks to Roger Klein and the Peacemakers for our uh, lead in and lead out music. A little hello, new day on your way now. Have a good and be a, have a good night and be very safe out there, folks.